Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 28. Arise, Sir Dead. Eric and Enid had slipped from being an idyllically happy couple to one who barely communicated. Eric had not allowed his wife to speak to him while he was being manly and fighting, but she hadn't obeyed him. Three times she had shouted to warn him of trouble, and three times he had told her off. Now, though, he was in worse trouble. His beloved wife had agreed to become the mistress of a count, and had come up with a dastardly plan to get rid of her husband. When he woke up, Eric was to be tricked and killed. During the night, Enid didn't sleep. She waited for the right time, and then struck. At daybreak, she woke Eric up. Sir, we must go. The Count hates you because he wants me. He would have you killed, but I tricked him into waiting until morning. Let's get out of here before he wakes. Eric finally realised that his wife was loyal and wanted only him. He quickly packed up his things. In order to pay for his room and lodging, Eric gave his host the other seven horses he had acquired on his journey. The lodge owner, amazed by such generosity, accepted them gratefully. Eric and Enid rode off, but Eric's mind had not changed about the speaking. Despite the fact that his loyal, loving wife had saved him from being killed by the Count, he still wouldn't allow her to speak. Unsurprisingly, the Count was furious when he found out that Eric and Enid had fled. He shouted out to his knights that he was very cross indeed, and they'd better find this annoying knight and his lovely wife. He declared there would be some great presents for the knight who captured them, and brought him the head of the son of King Lack. Eager for shiny gifts, the knights rode off in pursuit. There were many of them, and only one of him, and it wasn't long before they spotted him in the distance. Eric didn't notice his pursuers arriving, but Enid was alerted to their presence by the sound of clanging armour. She realised Eric didn't know they were there. Instinctively, she opened her mouth to warn him, but then she remembered her promise. If she spoke to him again, then she was going to be in big trouble. This was very unfair, but there was nothing she could do about it. Faced with the choice of suffering Eric's wrath or watching him be killed, Eric did the only thing she could. She buttoned her lip and watched Eric be cut to pieces by the Count's men. No, not really. She cried out to warn Eric. Eric was livid. So this is the respect you have for me. I can see that my words have no effect. Eric turned and faced the knights. There were over a hundred of them, led by the Count. The Seneschal came first, and Eric dispatched him quickly with his sword. The Count himself came next. The arrogant man was so convinced he could beat Eric that he didn't even bother to put his armour on. He fought with his lance and shield only. Needless to say, Eric had no trouble with him, leaving a lance in his side. Eric galloped off. The Count, sorely wounded, realised that his mission was an evil one. He ordered his knights not to follow. Eric and Enid escaped into a forest. The next morning, Eric and Enid rode on. By now, Eric was hardly talking to his poor wife and rode a long distance from her. Because of this, he didn't notice a fully armoured knight galloping towards him. Enid, of course, did. This time, the conflict in the poor girl's head nearly drove her mad. Three times she tried to cry out to Eric to warn him, and three times she stopped herself. In the end, though, she realised that she loved Eric too much to see him killed. If he banished her for disobeying him, then fair enough. This was better than watching the arrogant and misguided man die. She shouted out. Eric was about to admonish his poor wife again when he realised his folly. She loved him and he loved her. He knew she was only doing what she was doing because she loved him. Eric kept his mouth shut and then turned to face the knight. His opponent turned out to be a very little but very powerful knight. 
They fought with lances, shields and swords for more than six hours before Eric began to get the upper hand. The knight turned away and rode off trying to escape. Eric followed and soon caught him up. He demanded to know who the knight was and made him admit that he'd been beaten. The knight announced that he was called Guivre the Small and yes he had indeed been beaten. Eric spared him and was offered food and medical care in the short man's castle. He refused, but asked that Guivre came to his aid should he ever require it. Guivre agreed, and a sorely wounded Eric rode off with his wife. Later that day, King Arthur and his party rode into the forest for a few days hunting. The Queen was with him, as were Sir Kay, Sir Gawain, and many other knights of the round table. Kay, up to his usual silliness, untied Gawain's horse and rode off with it. More schoolboy pranks for knights who should have known better. Anyway, Kay galloped off into the forest and came upon Eric, although he didn't recognise the arms and so he didn't know that it was Eric. After a brief quarrel about nothing, they had a quick joust. Kay, though, was not properly armed, so Eric was gentle with him. Still he knocked him from Gawain's horse and started to lead it away. Kay was worried. Look, I know you beat me, but please don't take the horse. It is not mine. It belongs to the noble Sir Gawain. Eric smiled. Then take it back to his master, he said softly. Kay returned to King Arthur's camp. On hearing the story, Gawain rode off to meet the strange knight. He found him wounded and offered him treatment. Eric refused, so Gawain, compassionate as ever, played a trick. He watched which way Eric was headed and then rode back to King Arthur. He persuaded the king to secretly ride past the wounded knight and set up camp in front of him. This he did, and when Eric came upon the camp he met the king. When the king offered him treatment he was in no position to refuse. He only stayed a day though. He was very keen on progressing his quest and he refused all further offers of help. Arthur begged him to stay but accepted it when Eric said that he couldn't. There was a hearty feast. The next day Eric and Enid were on their way again. On they rode through the forest. They'd gone a fair distance when they heard a disturbing sound. A young lady was wailing. Eric, who seemed to have got over his don't-talk-to-Enid phase, shouted over to his wife, telling her to wait while he went to see what was going on. Enid, pleased to be back in his good books, nodded her agreement. When he found the lady, she was indeed in a very distressed state. She told the wounded knight that her lover had been taken prisoner by two wicked giants. Worse than this, though, they were, that day, going to kill him. Eric decided this kind of thing was exactly what his quest was all about. If he could defeat a couple of nasty giants, then he'd prove he hadn't lost his knightly edge. He'd show his critics that he was still up there with the best of them. He nodded sagely, as the lady explained, but deep down inside he was very happy. Wounded he may be, but the giants were in for a shock. The lady pointed to a couple of sets of sizeable footprints. Eric grinned to himself and began to follow the trail. Now, finding giants is not generally very difficult. It's not as if they can get lost in the undergrowth. Sure enough, Eric spotted the two large men long before they had a chance to see him. Both held ugly clubs in their hands and were pounding them down on something. As Eric got closer, he saw what it was they were attacking. There, on a horse, armour removed and head bare, was the lady's knight. The poor man was half unconscious and covered in violent bruises. Blood ran down his arms and legs and poured from some terrible wounds in his head. It was quite clear that he didn't have long left. Eric forgot his wounds in the anger that he felt for the deed he was watching. He launched himself into the clearing where the beating was taking place. Stop that now, 
he commanded. What crime has this poor man done to deserve this? Hand him over to me now, or face the consequences. The giants laughed at the absurdity of this bleeding, clearly wounded man telling them what to do. They thought it was so funny that they didn't even attack him, just told him that he was clearly a madman and that he should get lost quickly. Eric was cunning as well as powerful. He raised his lance and charged at one of the giants. Because his lance was very long, he managed to strike the giant before he was in range of the club. His aim was magnificent and he rammed the lance into the giant's eye. Blood and brains spurted out of the lance hole and the giant fell down. Within a few seconds he was dead. The other giant sprang forward with his own club and struck Eric. The knight just about had time to protect himself with his spear but he was knocked backwards and stunned. Eric came to just in time. At the very last second he managed to dodge the next blow and draw his sword. As the giant leant back ready to launch another savage blow, Eric struck. He sliced a huge tear in the giant's body and watched as his guts and bowels spilled out onto the ground. The giant fell on top of his outed innards and joined his brother in death. Eric untied the knight and set him free. The knight told him that he was Kadok of Tabriol and he gushed with thanks. He offered to serve Eric, but Eric simply told him to go and find King Arthur and his party and tell him what had happened. He told Kadok to make sure he didn't leave anything out, particularly when describing how brave Eric had been. Eric was determined that his reputation as a brave, dashing and mighty warrior was going to be permanently restored. Kadok met up with his lady and then did as he was bid. Arthur, Gawain and the rest were highly impressed. Eric rode back to Enid, a happy and satisfied man. He hurried to her to make sure that she was safe and was delighted to see her. He greeted her warmly. Unfortunately, his wounds also greeted her warmly. The effort of killing the giants had been too much for the bandages which he wore and his wounds burst open, greeting Enid with warm blood. He tried to make light of it, but being covered in red gushing blood is not easy to make light of. Eric tried to straighten up, but all his strength had gone. He fainted and fell from his horse. There he lay still. Enid looked down. Oh no, she cried. My husband is dead and it's all my fault. Enid fainted. Then she woke up. Then she cried out that she wished she was dead too and took a sword. She was about to plunge it into herself and join Eric in death when a count rode by. Seeing what was going on, he stopped and spoke to her. Unfortunately for her, it was far from what she wanted to hear. My lady, said the callous nobleman, don't cry. I will take your poor dead husband here and bury him with great honour. Then you can marry me and you will be noble, rich and powerful. Enid refused, but the opportunistic count took her with him anyway. Poor dead Eric was strapped to a horse and all went to the town of Limours. Eric was stretched out in the main hall with his lance and shield alongside him. Then the count summoned his chaplain and forced the poor churchman to marry him to Enid there and then. Much as this went against everything the chaplain held dear, the count was the boss. He and Enid were married. A great feast was prepared, but Enid was not going to enjoy it. The count told her to eat and eat well, and there was no point in mourning dead Eric. Now she was rich beyond her wildest dreams. Enid refused and the count became very angry. He raised his hand and struck her across the face. This was too much for the barons who had come to the party. They shouted to the count that he had done an evil thing, but the count was too full of rage to listen. As Enid carried on refusing to eat and refusing to be his, he raised his hand again 
and slapped Enid on the other side of her face. The wretched girl, minus one husband and now with two stinging cheeks, wept bitterly and shouted defiantly at him. I don't care how many times you hit me, I will not be yours. Hit me again, flay me alive or gouge out my eyes. You will never have what you want. I am not scared of your threats. All this slapping and shouting was loud enough to wake the dead. And that's exactly what it did. Except, of course, that Eric wasn't actually dead. He woke from his unconscious state and peered around blearily. Coming to his senses very quickly, he realised the Count was attacking his wife. Despite being sorely injured, he sprang up and ran over to the nobleman. With one blow, he smashed the nobleman's brains out and he fell down dead. All of the other barons were seized with terror. Quick, run, they yelled. Flee, Scarpa, leg it, here comes the corpse. Eric grinned. If he'd been feeling better, he'd probably have made some ghost noises just to frighten them a bit more, but he didn't have the strength. When everyone else had fled, he and Enid mounted his horse and rode off. As they did so, they embraced. All the love they had for each other poured out. Eric realised how wrong he had been in telling his wife not to speak to him. He told her that he loved her more than ever, and he wouldn't be swayed by the chattering of others again. News of Eric's death and the Count's terrible deeds had spread quickly. The tale reached the ears of Guivre the Little, who had sworn to serve Eric. He immediately set out with a thousand men, ready to storm the Count's castle and rescue Enid. As he headed towards Limours, he was spotted by a knight and a lady who were riding on a horse. The knight, Eric of course, thought that Guivre was an enemy, and despite it being in a desperately weakened state, charged at the smaller man. Eric stood no chance. Guivre knocked him from his horse and was about to inflict further damage when Enid jumped out and begged him to stop. Guivre demanded to know who the knight was and why he should stop. As soon as he learned that it was Eric, he was overjoyed. Eric had learned his lesson. This time he didn't reproach Enid for coming to his aid. Instead he thanked her and kissed her. Guivre took them both to his castle, where Eric, at last, rested and received medical care. In the morning he was feeling a lot better and he and Enid travelled to a local castle where Eric was tended by Guivre's two sisters. This time he allowed himself enough time to recover. Two weeks passed before he was ready to ride. Once those two weeks were up, Eric was keen to return home. He and Enid prepared their horses, bid a fond farewell to Guivre's sisters and left. Guivre, though, couldn't bear to be parted from his friend and insisted on coming with them. The three rode many miles until they saw a large town. It was full of magnificent buildings and looked rich and powerful. Eric asked what the town was called because he wanted to lodge there for the night. Sir, replied Guivre, the town is called Brandigan and is owned by King Evrain. I would advise you not to rest there because there is a strange and terrible custom in the place. It is called the Joy of Court, although it brings anything but joy. I urge you not to go and lodge in the town. King Evrain is very hospitable and will welcome you but if you lodge there, then you must attempt the challenge. Eric seems to have recovered his physical strength, but he was clearly not in control of his senses. Rather than doing a sensible thing and going somewhere else for the night, he rode into Brandigan, followed by Enid and Guivre. Despite not knowing what the joy of court was, he decided that one final challenge would be a fitting end for his quest. As he rode through the streets, the people of the town whispered to each other. I think he must be here to attempt the joy of court. He'll be sorry. King Evrain welcomed the party and was particularly courteous to Enid. That night they were fed the richest of feasts, 
The table was filled with venison, game birds and fruit and wines from many different exotic locations. They all ate and drank heartily. As they ate, Eric leaned over and spoke to King Evrain. Okay, he said. What about this joy of court thing? Evrain scowled. I will give you the chance to attempt the joy of court, much though I would advise you against it. You are clearly an honourable knight, and the choice is yours. Eric didn't change his mind. In the morning he prepared himself while Enid tried to talk him out of it. He had to borrow a lance and some armour, as his had been destroyed in his previous encounters. He mounted his horse and rode out, accompanied by the king, Enid and Guivre. The streets were thronged with people, but all was quiet. Everyone looked on in trepidation and awe that this stranger knight willingly took on the challenge. Eric was led to a garden. The garden was a very strange place. It had no walls or fences, but seemed to hold the air in it so that none escaped and none entered. Any fruit which grew in the garden could only be eaten in the garden. It couldn't be taken out. The garden could only be entered through a narrow gate. Everyone streamed in through the gate, Evrain and Eric first. It was a very narrow entrance and it took a long time for everyone to go through. Eric still didn't know what the joy of court was. As he looked around, though, he saw a worrying spike. Impaled on many spikes were the helmeted heads of knights. On the last spike, instead of a head, hung a musical horn. The king explained that every time a knight came in and attempted the joy, his head then replaced the horn on the end spike. Then another spike grew from the ground and the horn appeared on it. All Eric had to do, explained Evrain, was blow the horn. Easy though this may sound, nobody had yet succeeded. Eric spoke softly to Enid. He told her how much he loved her, and this was absolutely definitely, without doubt, the last adventure he would take before they all went home. Enid nodded and tried to smile, but she couldn't hold back the tears. She prayed that after all they had been through, they would finally be able to settle down. Eric approached the horn, but saw, not very far away from it, a very beautiful woman sitting on a bed. As he approached, a knight came into view. He was dressed in bright vermilion and was absolutely enormous. Inevitably, he challenged Eric to a joust. They charged and smashed each other from their horses. Then they fought with swords until Eric finally got the better of his opponent. The knight, sorely wounded, didn't seem too upset to be defeated. He asked Eric who he was. Eric refused to tell him unless he told the full story of the joy of court. Well, replied the knight, my name is Mabonagrane, and the lady here is my childhood sweetheart. One day she asked me a favour, and before knowing what it was, I agreed. I am the nephew of King Evrain, and I was knighted here in the garden. As soon as I became a knight, my lady asked me to give her the favour. She told me that I must promise never to leave this garden unless I was defeated in combat by a challenger. I am a huge and skilled knight, and had to fight to the best of my ability. She thought that I would never lose, and that we would be here together forever. You can see how many knights I've beaten, but now you have achieved the joy of court. It is called that because once it is achieved, I am free to leave this garden. All you need to do now is blow on the horn. Eric walked over to the horn and blew it. He blew very hard, and the sound travelled many miles. Enid heard it and was overjoyed. Guivre heard it and was delighted. Evrain heard it and was speechless with joy. The lady, though, was desperately sad. Tears streamed down her face. Enid comforted her and explained that the outcome was best for everyone. 
During the conversation, they discovered that they were cousins. The party, the joy, lasted for three days. When Eric and Enid departed, Brandigan was peaceful and happy. They rode to the court of King Arthur, where they were welcomed by the king and queen. Eric agreed to serve the king for at least three more years before returning to his lands. Guivray also stayed and joined the fellowship. Arthur may have lost Tristram for a time, and Geheris, and maybe Lamarack too, but he had gained a couple of good knights to take their places. Next time, we'll find out how Tristram is doing in Cornwall. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.